morning, Petaluma. This is Talking with Rabbi Ted at KPCALP, Petaluma, California, 103.3 FM. I'm Rabbi Ted Feldman, the rabbi of B'nai Israel Jewish Center here in Petaluma and the chair of the Petaluma Community Relations Council, back for another program. And to welcome into our studios today, Dr. Frank Chong, who is the President Superintendent, I want to find out what that means, uh, of Santa Rosa Junior College. It's great to have you here with us today. Oh, great to be here. Yes. Um, yes, yeah, so, wow, Santa Rosa Junior College, it's famous, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's a famous place. But before we get to the place, I want to a little bit about you. And I always like our listeners to learn the backgrounds of uh, the people who are the leaders in our community. So because we're, in one sense, a small community and our heroes locally are people who influence lots of people's lives. Mm -hmm. You certainly sit in a chair in in our community that uh, influence lots of lives. So a little background and okay. uh, how you got to us up here and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. And uh, I like to tell people I'm a ABC from NYC. I'm American-born okay. Chinese from New York City. Uh -huh. uh, my parents were immigrants from China, and uh, uh, they came to America and settled in uh, New York's Lower East Side. And uh, that was the beginning of uh, the Chong family. And uh, I'm the youngest of five. I uh, grew up in New York City in the, in the 60s during the Civil Rights Movement, the Vietnam War, Fillmore East. It was a... Wonderful, wonderful upbringing. Uh, grew up uh, with a large uh, Jewish community, of course, in the Lower East Side. Uh, I played basketball at the Educational Alliance, uh, and uh, many of my classmates were, were Jewish, Puerto Rican, African American, Chinese. Uh, so it was a, it was a wonderful uh, upbringing. And uh, uh, my sister, Joyce, uh, who uh, unfortunately passed a few years ago, uh, was living in... Uh, California and San Francisco, and she said, you have to come to school in Berk to, to, to Berkeley because, uh, you know, your, both of your older brothers never uh, graduated from college. They got too distracted with all the things going on in, in New York. So I applied, and uh, I was fortunate enough to get into Berkeley. I don't think I can get into Berkeley today. <laughs> the standards are much higher. Uh, so uh, I, I made the, the long journey from uh, one coast to the other coast, from the right coast to the left coast, and uh, uh, like they say, the rest is history. Uh, I graduated from UC Berkeley in Asian American Studies and uh, Social Work, and I uh, began a career uh, running nonprofits in the, in Oakland, particularly mm -hmm. in Oakland, Chinatown. Got involved with the Chinese community there and the Asian community. Um, did that, and then uh, went back to graduate school. Uh, went back to the other coast again, and I went to the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard and uh, had a great time there. And... Uh, during one of the lectures that was there at the Kennedy School, I met uh, a fellow named Willie Brown, and uh, he was giving a, a talk. Uh, and uh, I was so um, kind of mesmerized by his uh, fiery speech that I went up to him afterwards. I kind of elbowed my way to the front and told him, hey, I said, Mr. Speaker, you know, I'm from San Francisco, and uh, I'm here now, but I'd love a chance to, you know, look at possibly working for you, so... He said, well, when you graduate, give me a call, and we'll see what, what happens. So I remember uh, getting back to California, and I had some, some contacts in his office, and I found out there was an opening, and they arranged an interview, and I'll never forget it. I went to his office on, I think it was Green Street, and uh, 
I felt like I was walking into The Godfather's, the scene from The Godfather. It was wood panel walls with ferns, and uh, I sat there for like, it felt like two hours. I said, man, he's not going to ever interview me. He's, you know, people didn't, at that time I didn't know that, you know, he's very, very um, in demand, and, uh, you know, when the big doors opened, uh, uh, out came uh, one of the Black Panthers, uh, and uh, it wasn't Huey Newton, it was, it was one of the other ones, and uh it was just said, man, this, welcome to the big time. And uh, had an interview with Willie, and he, he said, why do you want to what do you want to work for in politics? He says it's a it's a snake pit. And I said, well, I want to work for the head snake. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, you know, he said, tell me about your family. I said, you know, he said, I don't care that I know you went to Berkeley, I know you you attended Harvard, but I told him about my family. Uh, you know, I was the youngest of five. My mother was a single mother after my dad had passed when I was five years old. And, uh, I think he liked that story. We we, we hit it off, and uh, I worked for him for the next four years, mm-hmm. um, mostly in his district office in San Francisco. So I basically know every hotel entrance in San Francisco, every parking spot in the city, from the Fairmont uh, to to the uh, you know Hyatt. Uh, so it was a wonderful opportunity to really cover different communities for him. You know, and my worst nightmare was being an advanced person for him and writing his speech notes, and then he wouldn't show up, and then he'd say, "Frank, I can't make it. You give the speech." Can you imagine uh, an audience waiting to hear from Willie Brown, and uh, then they get they get Frank Chong? Yeah. So I actually learned a lot, you know, being put in those positions. I look back on it now, and Willie taught me a lot about politics, about life. We're still good friends, and he's always been there for me. And I think what I appreciate about him is he's kind of old school. He he really values loyalty, you know, and, and loyalty not meaning blind loyalty, but loyalty that you have the ability to tell somebody when you think they're going to fall off a cliff that you warn them. And so I've always learned that from him, and I've always valued uh, our relationship. And um, one of the areas that he had me cover was higher education. So I got to know uh, the issues at UC Berkeley, the CSU system, California Community Colleges. So when I left his office, I, I told him, you know, I, I, I think it's time for me to move on. And uh, he's been supportive ever since. And uh, my first position was a, as a dean of, uh, at the Alamany campus in the Tenderloin of San Francisco was mostly a, for immigrants, uh, English as a second language, and um, it was a great entree to community colleges. And I sort of worked my way up, and my first presidency was at Mission College in Santa Clara. I uh, was there for a few years, and then moved on to Laney College in Oakland. Um, and would have stayed for many, many years because I loved that campus, but I got a call from a good friend of mine, Martha Cantor, who was just recently announced at that time President Obama's uh, Assistant Secretary for Education and uh, she called me, and I was so excited to, that she got that appointment. I said, don't forget about community colleges in California. We're so happy you're there. And she goes, well, the reason I'm calling is to see if you'd be willing to consider coming and leading President Obama's uh, uh, community college initiatives. Uh, and I was just floored, you know. Um, typically, that position goes to a college president, but there's 1,200 college presidents, community college presidents throughout the country, and why me? And, you know, she said, because you're politically astute, working with Willie Brown, who are going into a political environment in Washington, D.C., and Obama values diversity, and there's not, there are very few Asian Americans, uh, and so people of color in those positions. So, um, you know, I called my mother, and I told her, you know, I was real excited. President Obama asked me to join his administration, and, you know, she said, well, what position is it? I said, it's a, you know, Deputy Assistant Secretary for uh, Community Colleges, and she said, let me get this straight. You're, you're going to go from being a president to a secretary? <laughs> being an immigrant woman, she didn't really understand did, yeah, that it was actually uh, quite an honor, and I wouldn't call it a promotion, but 
a, a rare opportunity to serve in, for someone that I, I, I really have great fondness for and really believe that it was a, a real historical point in, in our country when you had the first uh, African-American uh, president and uh, to have an opportunity to, um, to serve under President Obama was something I couldn't turn down. And uh, a friend of mine told me, you know, Obama's the most Asian president we'll ever have. And I didn't really understand that. And then as I learned more about his background, you know, he was raised in Hawaii uh, right. amongst a lot of right. Hawaiians and Asian Americans. And uh, I think his brother-in-law is Asian American. So uh, he was really a, quite a, quite a, you know, extraordinary leader. And I, I got to spend some moments with him, not a lot, but uh, I always value those years. And then I got a call from a headhunter maybe two and a half years into my time at, uh, at the administration. And it said that, you know, a friend of mine wrote me, he was a headhunter, and he said, I know you're doing a great job in Washington, but it doesn't snow in Santa Rosa. <laughs> <laughs> that is an attractive uh, idea. Yeah. Yes. So I, I wrote him back. I said, well, send me the details. And uh, I knew of Sonoma County because my sister lived uh, in uh, Sonoma County for over 30 years. So uh, I used to come up here for weekends and go to the Harvest Fair and, you know, I'll come up to Petaluma and, and really enjoy uh, the great eateries here. And But I never thought I would live here. I've always been a, like what I call a city rat. I lived in San Francisco, Oakland, New York City. But, you know, I interviewed for the position and fortunately I was selected. And that was in 2012. Yeah, right? 2012. And uh -huh. fast forward eight years later, it's been a great ride. Wow. Uh, love wow. the community. It's a wonderful college. I'm only the fifth president in its 102-year history. That's amazing. Which that's is really great. amazing. That's, that says yeah. something about the stability and the... the Nature of the institution as it's seen in the community. That's Absolutely. Major, that is a big deal. So lots of, uh, I noticed on your bio that it has this title of president, I get, because you have a board and all mm -hmm. that. So where does, where does superintendent come from? It comes from the K-12 system. The super took care of the building. Right, so exactly. Be careful. I told him I wasn't very good with toilets. <laughs> so it, it comes from the K-12, remnants of the K-12 system when community colleges were part of the K-12 system. So uh, when they separated out, they, the superintendent tag kind of went along with oh, it. okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, can you give a little, can you give a little background on the uh, community college uh, evolution? And yeah, community colleges started in 1918 in uh, Joliet, Illinois, uh -huh. uh, and it was uh, uh, founded uh, by a fellow who thought that there should be more... Um, opportunities to uh, develop vocational skills as well as be the entryway to a four-year degree. So the idea of transfer, doing your first two years at a community college or junior college and then uh, transferring to a, a four-year institution. So community colleges quickly grew after World War II because of the vets who were coming back. It was really a great need for workforce training and community colleges, groups and leaps and bounds. And under Governor Brown's uh, uh, father in the 60s uh, and uh, and then when Jerry Brown took over, there was another uh, big uh, expansion of the community college. And today there's 115 community colleges throughout California. And SRJC is about the 10th uh, oldest uh, amongst those uh, community colleges. So, so was it originally seen as like grade 13 and 14? Was it looked upon that No, way it was more was seen it? as the freshman and sophomore okay. years. And when you look back at uh, back in 1918 in, in Sonoma County, there was no Sonoma State. So there was really no... Uh, pathway to go to, to Berkeley, which was, of course, the crown jewel. And uh, so the JC was actually formed to be a feeder to, uh, to Cal and to Berkeley. 
and uh, it's been very successful. We've had a lot of students from Sonoma County transfer to not just to UC Berkeley, but to UCLA, UC Davis. Uh, SRJC has the highest successful transfer rate of any large community college in, in the state. Uh, 80% of our students who apply to a UC campus will be accepted, and the statewide average is about 50%. So I, I really attribute that to the culture of transfer and the, the, the faculty and the, the rigor that they see themselves as really being like a boot camp for students that want to move on to four-year schools. Um, so uh, I'm really proud of our uh, faculty. They, they are really well trained. They're very passionate about teaching. But they also have very high standards, uh, and they don't believe in uh, watering down grades or you know, showing up and uh, thinking you're going to be able to do well. You have to put in the time and the effort. And many students who do go on will tell me that the, the most challenging classes they took wasn't at Sonoma State or UC Berkeley. It was at Santa Rosa Junior College. So, I, yeah, I so much has to do with the person who's in the classroom, not just the umbrella under which they teach, the university or the junior college, yeah. but that person. So the teacher is the, is the one who meets the students where they are, and so that needs to be... Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Well, we, yeah. We take students from where they are at, and, you know, I like to say that the UC takes the top 12%, and California State Universities accept the top 20%, and the California Community Colleges, we accept the top 100%, yeah. you know. It's always, I think, less challenging to teach somebody who's already so-called academically um, achieved and gifted. Uh, tend to teach somebody who might have struggled in school, and uh, they get a second chance, third chance, sometimes a fourth chance to um, go to college or uh, go pick up a, a trade to be a, a welder or a construction worker. And uh, these are very well-paying professions. And so, uh, whenever I go around the community, people always ask me about the trades, particularly people of our generation who's, who say, you know, not everybody's meant to go to college, not everybody's going to get a four-year degree, and some people have different skill sets, and there's a society should value them equally. Yeah. And you have just received or recently received a notice of a, of a grant mm -hmm. for Petaluma in particular regarding construction trades and stuff. Can you tell us what that is about? Absolutely. Uh, you know, when the fire hit in 2017, we all knew that there was going to be a massive rebuild that would need to go on in Sonoma County. We lost over 5,400 homes. Uh, so uh, we began the idea of working with FEMA to apply for a grant where we partnered with the Economic Development Board uh, in Sonoma County. And uh, it was an 18-month process. It was grueling and a lot of uh, uh, details to be worked out, but I was really pleased that uh, on January 6th, the uh, U.S. Department of uh, Commerce um, issued us a $7.1 million check uh, with a matching grant from the Tipping Points Foundation for an additional million. So we're going to provide the land in kind uh, on, on our Petaluma campus, and it's going to be a construction center. It's going to probably take about 18 months to two years to construct, and they will uh, work together with the, all the construction industry leaders, with the North Bay biz builders, with the, all, of course, all of our union partners, to uh, develop uh, some trade skills for our students to have a pathway uh, to apprenticeships so they can really get the type of training they need in, in order to succeed. So uh, areas like uh, HVAC engineering, you know, putting in a heating and air conditioning systems is really high demand. Uh, uh, installation of solar installation, uh, the field of construction managers and foremans are needed. So we'll be working with the local contractors, companies like uh, Midstate, uh, Gelati, uh, uh, Wright Construction. Uh, they've all 
uh, indicated an interest in, in working with us to develop a curriculum that's going to help so that when our students uh, leave the construction center, they'll be job ready. That's really, yeah, it's, I think it's great. I think it's a great thing. I remember a discussion I had, oh, that this discussion was years ago with Marie McCusker, who's the head of uh, the downtown association here, mm-hmm. and we were talking about trade uh, courses in the high schools and the fact that there's very little nowadays in the high schools and the need for it. And this was before the fires and all right. of that. And so this has uh, now become an acute issue. And part of the reason the cost of living has been going up is because there's non-availability and therefore the costs incurred to bring people into work, uh, supplies, etc., etc., that has certainly raised the cost of uh, housing uh, in Petaluma. So uh, congratulations on that grant, and I think it's a great thing, not not just for Petaluma, but mm-hmm. for Sonoma County to be able to have that resource here. It's no doubt a necessity for us. Yeah, we're very, we're very, very excited. Yeah. To speak, well, I have, well, I've got lots of questions, but we actually, uh, as I mentioned, uh, uh, to you last night, we have a whole hour to the whole time together. My second guest uh, could not make it uh, today. Jenny Bellway is sick, mm-hmm. and so I'm happy you're going to be here with us. So I got lots of questions okay. to ask you and to talk about. So we'll keep moving. So uh, about this, uh, the housing piece. So you also have been doing some creative uh, uh, attempts to deal with the issue of housing for students. And right, didn't you purchase a building here in Petaluma too, and in Santa, or is it just Santa Rosa? Uh, so, Rabbi Feldman, what we've done is uh, we've identified even before the fire that um, students were having an increasingly difficult time finding affordable housing uh-huh. uh, for our students, and so my board uh, asked me to start looking at the uh, feasibility and possibility of a student residential hall uh-huh. um, to help address some of our students' uh, needs. So. Uh, through the leadership of uh, Pedro Avila, my Vice President of Student Services, and Robert Ethington, my Dean of Student Affairs, and Kate Jolly, my, we put together a team and then we brought faculty, students, and, and building people together uh, who know about housing. And uh, we developed a plan where we're going to, um, if everything works out in the fall of 2022, we'll have developed a five-story, 400-bed residential hall uh, along the Highway 101 corridor on Armory Drive. Okay. Um, and uh, it will have housing that's uh, at least 10% under market rate. And it's a, what we call a P3, a public-private partnership. So we basically uh, lease the land for, for a dollar a year to a developer who's going to build the dorm as if it was like a building a hotel. And they will then operate the dorm, and we will work with the selection process and they will keep all the, the rents to, in order to recoup their costs for the development and construction. And after 40 years, when they've made their money, they will revert the dorm back to us for our ownership. I think it's a win-win. You know, it's a, We don't have the funding, of course, in, within our own budget to build housing. Uh, but this is a, a proven method that other four-year schools and community colleges have used in order to address their housing crisis. There's so many of these... Uh dealing with particularly housing, it becomes very complicated. The, uh, uh, the construction, the, the legalities, the mm-hmm. partnerships, uh, figuring out all the details. And uh, 
it's quite a project, and so I think that's a great uh, a great accomplishment. Was, there was nothing in Pe- I don't know why I'm thinking there was something in Petaluma that had been done around the housing park. No, not not with the JC. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Of course, uh, for us in here, uh, the Community Relations Council, of which I'm a part. Uh, has been really struggling trying to figure out how to address some of these issues and help the community address affordability because mm-hmm. the price of housing, of rents, not just for students, but for everybody, for the people working in Petaluma, uh, it's really hard. It's a really hard time right now. So uh, as you probably know, our city council is at Santa Rosa is struggling to figure out how to uh, address these these issues. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, from a public policy standpoint, and I've studied public policy, is that, in my opinion, the federal government has to get more actively engaged in incentivizing developers to build um, affordable housing. When there were uh, tax incentives uh, to build senior housing and affordable housing from the federal government under the Clinton administration, even before then, uh, developers, because I have friends who are developers, and they said, we, we built, a, they built a, a friend of mine built affordable housing for workers in Lake Tahoe and Kings Beach. Uh, but the only reason they were able to do that is through tax credits and those incentives. Those have been expired. So I see the lack of the federal government's uh, commitment to incentivizing local communities as one of the disincentives uh, for developers to build money. Let's face it, developers are not nonprofits. They're there to make a profit. And for things to pencil out, it requires the, the federal government to give you some type of tax break or incentive. And it's the same type of tax break we're using to build our student housing as a developer is going to be able to, with us, form a, a nonprofit, uh, which gives them some tax-exempt status in order to build the housing. I don't think it's that complicated. I just think you have to have the political will and bring back the people that develop those successful programs. And I think we're just spinning our wheels personally uh, because a local effort is not going to be enough. We just don't have the resources and the bandwidth uh, to do the type of uh, housing on that level. You know, even the statewide, you know, I think Governor Newsom – uh, you know, bless his soul, is trying to really make housing uh, uh, a key priority. Uh, but I think you need the feds to, to be in the game in order to, to make effective change. If you look at where affordable housing was built during the 50s and 60s, it was all incentivized by the feds. Yeah, so I, I heard your phrase, political will, and that's a cop we could spend forever on that one today, yeah. uh, uh, looking at those issues of political will. Yeah, people have to decide that uh, this is what we need, this is what we want, and this is how to get there yeah. and agree together. And that's an unlikely scenario, unfortunately, from my perspective yeah. in, uh, in the climate yeah. that we find ourselves in right now. So with all the fight, what has the student population? Uh, what number one? What's the approximate student population? And is it uh, the statistics holding? You know, there's perceived exodus from the county right now, and because of the fires and all of that, and cost of living, etc. What's happening with the with the student population? Yeah, we've had a, a decline in our student enrollment as a result of the fires, as a result of, of uh, the high cost of housing. But generally what drives student enrollment in community colleges across the nation is the economy. So we're counter-cyclical. When the economy goes north, people are working, and they're less incentivized to go to school. When the economy goes south, they get laid off, and they have the time uh, in order to look at career changes. So uh, we're now you know, experiencing an unprecedented growth right, in our economy. Uh, the unemployment rate in uh, Sonoma County is one of the lowest in the state. So that affects my enrollment. Um, 
But headcount, we still have about as many students as we had five, six years ago. When, uh, and But they're taking less units. So a student who may be going full-time will be working now and taking one class instead of taking four classes. So if you, uh, you know, count that over and over time with the number of students, it, it will affect our enrollment. This semester, we're down about a, a percentage and a half, one and a half percent from previous year, which I'm actually grateful for. It's not a larger decline. We're fortunate to have fire relief funding from the state uh, for the next two years uh, in order to try to um, right-size our college because uh, we're funded for about 19,500 full-time students, and we're currently serving about 17,500. So about 2,000 students less, but we're still getting the funding for the higher number. Um, we've had to do, like many or, uh, organizations, uh, and whether they're for-profit or non-profit, is to really um, align your revenues with your expenditures. So we recently did our early retirement incentive program. 98 folks took it, and uh, we're going to probably replace about a third of them. So that long-term will save us uh, millions of dollars. And we've also had to reduce the number of class offerings um, that uh, we put out by, by about 9%. Uh, mostly classes that are um, under-enrolled. We just can't afford to carry classes of 15, 13 students. The magic number is like 20, 22 students for us to sort of break even, as they say. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, what, what is the tuition? What do the students pay to take College, the Community college students who attend for the first time, who attend and take 12 units, the tuition is zero. Uh -huh. It's free community college okay. for your first two years. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's something that we've been trying to get out to folks is that uh, but the fees is just one part of, of the cost of college, as you know. You have to have food. You have to have a car sometimes. You have to have transportation costs. Or you have to have living expenses. So um, the tuition was $26 a unit, you know, uh, one of the lowest in the, in the nation. So I think uh, I'm not going to say college is free automatically. 81% of our students who apply for financial aid will receive it, and we're really pushing that. And last year we gave away $1 million more in financial aid than we did the previous year. So we're really doing a campaign to try to let the students know uh, we'll help you with the financial aid application. It could, quite, it could be quite complicated and arduous, but we're here to help you and get the amount of money you deserve uh, to attend college because uh, we don't want cost to be a factor in whether somebody decides whether they can go to college or not. You've been listening to Dr. Frank Chong, president of Santa Rosa Junior College. Uh, he will be back with us in the second segment of Talking with Rabbi Ted this morning. We're going to take a three-minute break, and we'll see you back in a few moments.
Welcome back to the second segment of Talking with Rabbi Ted on KPCA LP, Petaluma, California, 103.3 FM. Uh, our guest in the studio today is Dr. Frank Chong, the President Superintendent of Santa Rosa Junior College. Uh, we, the first segment, we solved many problems of uh, our society. Uh, learning a lot about our junior college, actually, and great things that are happening there, and some of the challenges. I was, you know, I was just thinking earlier, the name junior college as opposed to community college, has Santa Rosa ever thought of going to the community college name, or is it is, it, is there a difference between the two, structurally, or yeah, anything a, like that? That's a great question, Rabbi, and <coughs> the you know, junior colleges started off as the, the term, and, and I think in the 60s and 70s, they started renaming themselves community colleges because they felt the word junior is being either patronizing or less than. Mm -hmm. But in the case of Santa Rosa Junior College, uh, people love the brand. They love the JC, as it's called, right. affectionately. And uh, I was told there's only two ways I could get fired if I, uh, at the JC. One was to try to change the name, uh, <laughs> and the second was to cut down our oak trees. You ah. know, so... I've tried to follow that. I'm still here, so I think we're doing pretty well. So the oak trees uh, are still there. Yeah, the they fall on their own. I, have, I can't control that. But yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, but I, I think you know the JC brand and uh, Modesto Junior College are the only two remaining of the 115 who have maintained that brand. And for those those towns or those cities, that you know, it, there's an affection for it. And uh, so I love the name. I would never propose uh, changing it for the reasons I mentioned. But uh, I think the community. Uh, should, being a true community college, the community should dictate what the name, what we call it. And right. uh, for now, the JC and forever is fine. Yes, there we go. And I, you know, I, I hear it spoken about with great uh, affection and uh, recognition that it's a major institution in our community, and that it's addressing the needs in a very diverse population. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, can you give an idea of the diversity in your? 17,000 students? Yeah, I would say about uh, under 40%, about 40 percent are, are white and declining or steady. And the largest growth, of course, as you see in our community is Latino. When I arrived in 2012, the Latino student population was 25 percent, and today it's uh, hovering around 36 percent. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, first time en entrance now for the first time, a larger number of Latino students than white students. Uh, and uh, We've done everything we can to really prepare to work for a different with a different demographic. We have a wonderful English as a second language ESL department. They do a wonderful job of preparing uh, non-native speakers to uh, have a proficiency level in order to go to uh, take college-level classes. Um, and we've hired a lot of Latino counselors and Latino Spanish-speaking um, support staff, classified professionals, and faculty. So I've always believed that the the employees of the college have reflected diversity of the community, uh, and that includes the Jewish community as well. <laughs> the Jewish community, yeah. Well, I know that uh, Hillel, which is based in SSU, um, also, I believe, has a program, at, at least they used to. I haven't mm -hmm. been in touch with them for a while, but has a program at Santa Rosa Junior College, too. So that part's important. Um, so um, given that you had experience in the Department of Education, What's, what, how does uh, Santa Rosa Junior College uh, su get support on federal funds? Mm -hmm. What's that relationship like? And 
if you have any comments on the current Department of Education, I'm certainly welcome <laughs> to uh, to hear those. Yeah. Well, upon my arrival, I was lucky when I was over at uh, D.C. for the years I was there to get to know the National Science Foundation, to know, to learn about more about Hispanic-serving institutions. So I don't think it's an accident when I got there we were able to get uh, NSF grants from the National Science Foundation. We were able to get a $2.5 million grant from the U.S. Department of Education, Hispanic-serving institutions. So I really believe that Santa Rosa and Sonoma County should get its fair share of federal dollars, uh, and we haven't really had been in the past uh, as um, aggressive in that area. So uh, I'm really proud of the work we've done with both federal state funding, like the recent $7.1 million grant we've received from the U.S. Department of Commerce. Uh, it's not D.C. money, it's taxpayers' money. And who's the taxpayers? It's us that, that you know, filters down right. to D.C. In terms of my, you know, I have very strong opinions about the current, um, you know, leadership in Washington, particularly the U.S. Department of Education. You know, I've always said Betsy DeVos is uniquely unqualified uh, to be uh, a head of a education. Her, uh, her claim to fame is really pushing for a privatization of schools. Uh, and, and uh, charters. Uh, so uh, that's her opinion, but I, I think the great work that we did under Arnie Duncan, I'm very proud of. We really uh, tried to put the fire under the feet of uh, predatory for-profits that were going to uh, homeless shelters and having people sign papers that you can go to college for free when they were, in fact, were just taking out loans for them that were that were that had to be paid back. You know, the, the uh, uh, graduation rate of for-profit colleges is about 6%, you know, to me, it's almost criminal. You know, I think the intent is really important in life. If your intent is to make a profit, you know, the outcomes aren't going to be great in education. If your intent is to be a publicly funded uh, school like ours, our intent is to really help students. Um, and so I really feel strongly in my time uh, working for Arnie Duncan and the Obama administration that um, the money that we subsidize for-profit colleges through the student loan program, if we take that same money and put it into adequately funding community colleges and the CSUs and UCs, we'd be that much better off. And um, is the college receiving any Title VI money? Title VI. As those are federal funds that go to colleges and universities. I'm bringing it up because... Financial aid? Financial aid. Yeah, uh, yeah that's our largest. We, we receive right. many, many millions of dollars right. for students to receive uh, federal financial aid. Right. So the... Uh, the president recently signed an executive order uh, extending the protections of Title VI, which bans discrimination against uh, race, gender, and natural origin mm -hmm. uh, to issues around anti-Semitism. And this is particularly uh, geared toward those campuses where there's a lot of anti-Israel uh, going on, anti-Israel activity going on, that turns into anti-Semitic and bullying and all that kind of stuff. And I wondered if there's been any experiences at the junior college that you're familiar with around that, uh, and what's the climate like of uh, acceptance on the campus and political activity? That's a great question. Uh, in my eight years at the JC, um, I really haven't seen any ant blatant anti-Semitic or, or even what they call microaggressions. Mm -hmm. uh, we bring speakers on from both views, if you will, uh, the Palestinian, the Israeli, the Jewish. Uh, it hasn't been a, an issue. We've had the hate groups put up uh, hate stickers, you know, on the bathrooms, and they've been doing that ac across the nation in 
we've condemned it and taken it down as quickly as we see it. Uh, I think we're actually blessed to live in uh, Sonoma County, where I've seen quite a, a very healthy ecumenical, uh, you know, the Jewish, the, the Buddhist, the uh, Christian church leaders. I've met with all of them, and the, we seem to be a model of tolerance and a model of acceptance and a uh, uh, I haven't seen anything outward in terms of that area, and I'm happy to say that. Uh, yeah. And I'm happy to hear that, yeah. of course. And sometimes, uh, you know, every day I get security bulletins from uh, the Jewish community, and there's always something going on. Uh, graffiti, mm-hmm. uh, swastikas, yeah. harassment of individuals, um, you know, the campuses. Even, I mean, UCSF is famous for its mm-hmm. tensions between the Jewish students, the anti-Israel group. and You mean San Francisco State? San Francisco State, I'm sorry. Yeah. San Francisco State, sorry. And um, it's, uh, it's just disheartening, of course, to, to see those kinds of things happening. So sometimes I feel like we do live in a little bubble here mm-hmm. in Sonoma County, but uh, if we t- change that notion of bubble into a blessing and the, the notion that we should be grateful that this is where we live and how we relate to the varying populations who uh, among whom we live, that's, that's great. I agree. I mean, I think we should be a, 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 an example, you know, a leader in how communities should coexist together. Yeah. Uh, and we could be a model for other communities on uh, why we uh, respect and acknowledge and try to learn more about each other's cultures, languages, and religions. Yeah, most of uh, hatred is based on ignorance, ignorance. of yes. course. We all yeah. keep saying that. Yeah. But, uh, it's, it's and I'm in the business of anti-ignorance. Yeah, that's, that's you should be. You're in school. <laughs> so that's true. You are in the business of anti-ignorance. Yeah, so how do you think your, um, uh, first of all, what, what were some of your nonprofit experiences uh, through your career, and how did that affect you personally and professionally in terms of how you view the community and your job as uh, the head of this great institution? Yeah, well, by Two primary jobs that I had coming out of college was one at uh, Asian Manpower Services, which was a job training agency for Asian immigrants. And so it gave me a great um, look at what immigrants need when they, in order to become employable and to see the power uh, of their persistence and their hard work in terms of wanting to make it in this country, to learn English, which is not an easy language to learn, uh, and also to learn a skill. Uh, the second a- agency I worked at was Asian Community Mental Health Services uh-huh. in Oakland. And it really kind of educated me and informed me about uh, how important mental health is and how um, the stigma of mental illness in this uh, society. And so I'm very proud to say at the JC we have a very strong uh, uh, mental health uh, services. Uh, and we have uh, psychologists and we have trained uh, LCSWs, licensed clinical social workers. Uh, and we have students who are doing their hours from universities who are studying to get their MSWs and to get their, their credentials. So mental illness is very uh, prevalent on college campuses. Uh, it's also further um, exacerbated by the pressure for grades and uh, so and achievement. So I think it's really important that we, we as an institution uh, have started to tamp it down and say, you know, we're here to learn. And uh, if you have pressures or you're feeling stressed, um, then we have services to help uh, you address those. Yeah, well, when I was the director of Jewish Family and Children's Services mm-hmm. in East Bay, we uh, worked with Asian Community Mental Health and mm-hmm. 
uh, it's really an important thing. And interestingly, in this uh, during this presidential election season, when there's this uh, discussions about health care, mm-hmm. you don't everybody thinks about health care in terms of the physical broken right. arms, uh, what happens to the body. But mental health is a big, big, big issue. Part of it is expressed in the mm-hmm. violence that is being carried out in our country these days. Mm-hmm. And so it's really, really an important piece of uh, human health mm-hmm. to be able to look at mental health. And the problem is it's not as tangible mm-hmm. uh, for most people as uh, a broken bone or a, mm-hmm. a physical illness that's identifiable with a part of the body. Right. And uh, so we have our work cut out for us in terms of that mental health uh, crusade to make people understand that that is a piece of health and it should be included in whatever national policies there are, as well as uh, on your campus in dealing with uh, students who are struggling with some things. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. And uh, is, uh, are there any extremists lurking on the campuses that you're dealing with, aside from the... Um, uh, you know, stickers in the halls or something like that. Is there any ex- um, expression of white supremacy, of uh, skinheads uh, happening in, on our campuses? Not that I see. That's good. That's great. That's good. I know you have a police department too, a security department that works very closely with. Mm-hmm. The, the buildings and the, the student body, etc., to make sure that everybody is safe there. I know that. Yeah, it's become a, a real priority, you know, changing locks as faculty can lock the doors from the inside. And, you know, it's just a sad statement that a lot of the resources that should be going into education, going into security, and I think it, it circles back to your earlier conversation about mental illness and, um, you know, gun violence and the, the connection. So, uh I didn't sign up to, you know, lock down my campus, but that's uh, sadly what has come to. So we have to deal with it. Uh, But I think, you know, as anything, you want to get to the the source of the problem, right? Right. And so I think uh, our political leaders and our our young people are are beginning to understand uh, the connection between mental illness, gun violence, and and all of that. And so uh, we have to come up with better public policies because – there's too many innocent uh, children and adults uh, who are perishing before our eyes and really senseless, uh, uh, you know, destruction, loss of life. Right. You know. And we have to do that. Too. I mean, our doors are locked now all the time yeah. at the synagogue. And yeah. It's a completely different world. Yeah. We grew up, you and I grew up with uh, churches, synagogues, the doors are open so to invite people in and to yeah. welcome them in. And yeah. now doors are locked and to hear that the colleges have to provide similar kinds of security measures and because of uh, what's happening. So, uh, yeah, that's a hard part of, uh, of our jobs so yeah. that we have to deal with in, in our work. So, um, so how, how is the JC structured in terms of governance? You have a, a, board, a, a board? Yes. They're elected? Yeah, we have a seven-member elected board who represents different um, three from Santa Rosa area, one from North County, one from West County, and one from South County. Maggie Fishman, who you know, she's a wonderful trustee here at uh, uh, representing Petaluma, Penn Grove area. And uh, I have a seven-headed boss. (laughs) Uh uh, But they're really all interested in helping the, the, the students and helping me, supporting me, introducing me to the community. 
uh, dealing with uh, sticky wicket issues. Um, so uh, I'm very fortunate to have a very supportive board that holds me accountable, as they should. And then we have an academic senate that's uh, elected to uh, represent the faculty interests and a classified senate to work with classified professionals. And we have a management liaison group that represents uh, our administrators. Uh, and we have a student senate, of course. So it's really a active democracy in action when you have governance uh, that's what we call shared governance. And it's really making sure that decisions are made uh, by consulting and more brains in the room make for better decisions. And how do you deal with uh, the stresses? Because seven people, seven mm -hmm. opinions, uh, 17,000 students, 17,000 opinions, mm -hmm. faculty. How, how do you deal with that? How do you... I mean, I love the job I do, and I'm not shy of controversy. And so I think I really have to work on my listening skills and really be an active listener and understand where people are coming from. And, uh, you know, I like people who are passionate, you know. And so uh, for me, it, it, I welcome it, you know. I don't shy away from it, and that's how uh, good leadership, I believe, is uh, being authentic. Uh, not telling people what they want to hear, you know. Um, and uh, I think it was uh, Rosalind Carter who said, you know, leadership's really about telling people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. Do you have a Twitter account? I'm just checking. I don't. <laughs> That's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what's your vision? Do you have, uh, in terms of uh, a vision of the future for the JC, um, anything gelled in your mind in terms of directions that you're not doing now or that need to help deal with the contingencies of the world in which it's constantly evolving? How do you... Well, I have great optimism that through education that our society can become further evolved and developed, uh, whether it's about sustainability and preserving the planet. Many of our students are passionate in studying that, and I'm hoping and hopeful that through us starting them there and they move on to other four-year universities and other places, they will become the change agents that we need in the world to build uh, a more uh, sustainable uh, planet. Uh, and as a result of mental illness and, and gun violence, you know, that we're training students to deal with the psychology, right, of uh, how people think uh, and uh, looking at how to diagnose uh, different issues and what type of interventions are necessary. Uh, and also from the workforce standpoint, you know, many of our students uh, need to make uh, a sustainable wage, a sustainable living, and by us giving them that training, that makes them all the more uh, uh, valued in the workplace and hopefully compensated for that. So I think education is a great equalizer. Uh, it was for me and my family, and it, uh, it continues to be for millions of Americans. So uh, I wish the, co the, the government would would fund us adequately so that we can do a better job and we can serve more students and uh, have the best equipment. Um, so that's my vision for the college is that it become the change agent through education in order to make for a better society. Well, I, from what I've seen in the community and the people I've met, it has made a big difference in, in lots of people's lives. It really has made that difference. In, you know, uh, in the presidential campaign, there are theories of education that are being thrown out from free public universities. Um, 
Where do you where do you see all that happening? Is uh, what's it, what would you envision with that? Well, I mean, affordability doesn't necessarily mean free. You know? Okay. And there's a cost to everything. Nothing's free. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I think it's laudable. And my bo- former boss, Martha Cantor, is heading the College Promise program and really having a great impact in uh, promoting greater free colleges. But we also have to, as these free colleges will naturally bring in more students, we also need uh, an infusion of investment, uh, i.e. dollars, to serve those students. You don't want to bring in students for free college and not have the resources to which to serve them. So I think the first part of the equation is being discussed. And from where I sit, once these so students who come to the college for free college, I need to have the faculty and the wherewithal in order to properly serve them. So yeah. uh, it's the first part of a conversation, not the last part. Right. And I realized when, uh, when my daughter was born, my young daughter, I started a 529 college savings plan. And after about two years, I got a note from uh, the, the uh, financial place that said, uh, when your daughter enters college in 2029, four years are going to cost $267,000 at a public school. At the rate you're going, you're not going to make it. Please write us a check for $75,000 and increase your monthly payment by $600. Right? So a parent gets something like that, right, and sees, whoa, whoa, <laughs> something's got to give in in this process. You know, something's got to give. And... Uh, yeah, it's a big project. Yeah, community colleges, uh, I think, continue to be high-quality alternatives to private four-year. Um, my own daughter started at NYU. Talk about expensive, right? Uh, she did a year there and said, Daddy, you know, she was in dance. And that was her passion. And I believed in her, and I believed in supporting her. She said, I have an opportunity to dance professionally uh, in San Francisco. I just got offered a contract. And I said, well, if you want to stop out of NYU and uh, or college, uh, you know, you need to take classes while you're dancing. So she's been uh, pretty uh, religiously taking classes at City College of San Francisco mm-hmm. uh, on online, and she's pretty much finished her uh, general education requirements. So, and she may go back to NYU for one more year or two more years, but I can handle that. But yeah. I, again, I think community colleges continue to be a really, not a last choice, but a, a really smart first choice for quality higher education, yeah. So in our in our last five minutes of uh, discussion here, um, can you talk a little bit about the Petaluma campus mm-hmm. and tell us uh, some of the good things that are happening there aside from the uh, trade, the construction trade mm-hmm. uh, grant? Um, it's really grown a lot in the past number of years. Yeah. Well, the Petaluma campus is our second largest campus outside of Santa Rosa. It was really... Uh, uh, intended to serve South County folks and people from Nevada who want, you know, want to change uh, from Marin. Uh, and uh, I call it our small liberal arts alternative. You know, you, it's a smaller college, smaller campus, and you get more personal attention, I believe. Uh, there's a real uh, collegial feeling in Petaluma. We have great faculty down there. They all get along uh, for the most part. And uh, uh, I, I adore the uh, Petaluma campus. And We've also added a, a vet tech program, veterinary tech program uh, that Dan Fabini runs, a uh, great, great fellow. And uh, we're also going to be uh, uh, bringing some other programs there. We have great student support services down there. We have I, Our House, which is a, 
uh, a place where students can hang out. And we're getting, again, a lot more Latino students, first-gen students going there. And we have a wonderful uh, Puente program uh, that's uh, run for uh, teaching students uh, in college-level composition uh, using Latin uh, authors. So I think we have a lot of unique programs down there. We have a great film studies program. Uh, every Wednesday night, you can watch a film. Next Wednesday, they're, they're showing The Joker, you know, uh, and it's five bucks to get in. So uh, I encourage the community to check out the Petaluma campus. Uh, and uh, it, it's, it's a wonderful campus. The construction center will be going up there. We're, we're redoing our science wing there and investing money into upgrading the labs there so you can take science classes there. We're redoing our student center. It's going to be a wonderful uh, communal type of uh, project that really looks like a workspace that you would see in Google or in Facebook. So there's a lot of uh, really exciting things happening at Petaluma. Uh, so you have a choice. You can go to Santa Rosa campus. You can go to Petaluma campus. You can do a little bit of both. We have our Schoen Farm, where if you're interested in agriculture and uh, wine studies, we have that. We just started a hemp program. We've grown about an acre and a half of hemp. You know, and so there's a lot of that's the future. So we're trying to keep up with the changing, you know, face of Sonoma County. You know, in terms of uh, we also have a brew program up at their Shone Farm, public health, a public safety center up in Windsor. If you want to be a firefighter, if you want to be a police officer, if you want to be a parole officer, probation officer, uh, emergency medical tech, uh, you got you got that uh, opportunities as well. Um, so I just met with the incoming president of Sutter up here, and uh, he just thanked us for all the nurses and uh, radiology tech people and, uh, you know, the dental techs, many of the dental techs who do your teeth and clean your teeth are trained at the JC who take your x-rays, you know. So I like to think we're kind of a one-stop shop for many, many uh, uh, people who have different occupational aspirations. And I think that's really an important point to be making, that, that the junior college is not just uh, studying Shakespeare right. and learning uh, uh math and algebra and all of that, but that there are vocational opportunities in a myriad of programs yeah. and certifications for it that people can uh, participate in. And our culinary arts program is open Wendy through Fridays for lunch yes, on Mendocino, and they make a pretty good bagel. Oh, they make a good bagel. Yeah, they do. Oh. I'll let you be the judge of it. Okay, we'll have to try that out yeah. sometime. Have you gone to their bagel place in Petaluma? Uh, their bagel place? Yeah. Which one is their bagel place? It's Petaluma Bagel. It's uh, off by the Petaluma Market. Oh, yeah. It's a yuppie bagel place. It's two oh, bucks for a bagel. I know, I know. Way too much. No, no, no. Well, no. we're actually winding down our yeah. time right now. And uh, w with the bagel on our mind, with a little cream cheese and locks on it and uh, smoked salmon, I'll thank you very much for being our guest today on Talking with Rabbi Ted. KPCALP, Petaluma, California, 103.3 FM.